We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're talking the Chiefs' backfield and more best ball on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into Roto-Viz Radio, the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm struggling with the uh, with the beginning of shows this week, but that might just be because I am in the presence of greatness. Curtis is on vacation. Filling in for him is my good buddy, Mister Zachary Kruger of NBC Sports Edge uh, and the Rotoviz Best Best Ball Show. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Dave. We have uh, show number two here, filling big shoes uh, with 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 Curtis away. So uh, ho- hopefully things are going well here, and we can we can get one more decent show in Curtis's absence in here, uh, and I can do the brand proud. So I am excited to be here, talk a little bit of best ball with you, and and uh, you know get get this thing going. So let's let's do it. Awesome. So we are going to start off with our FFPC stat attack. Uh, This one, not particularly actionable, but very, very fun. I believe that everybody out there knows that Cooper Cup just absolutely dominated win rates in best ball leagues last year. That should not come as much of a surprise. But what you might not realize is that the man had a win rate below 10% only one time last year. That was after week one where his win rate was 7.5%. Uh, despite having a 17.8 point performance, but things then just exploded from there uh, with his lowest percentage after that being 16.8 at week five. And then after that was above 20, the whole rest of the way out through the season actually hit 32.7% in week 15 and held that uh, through to the end of the year, finishing at 31.7 was actually at a win rate of 30% or higher in weeks, eight, nine, 10, 15, 16, 17, and 18, just sheer domination. I have nothing to offer other than just how ridiculous that is. Yeah. Uh, the, the folks on Twitter would say that Cooper cup was hashtag good. And I would be inclined to agree with them. That's just, I mean, to, to think that you could have drafted Cooper Cup, and I know it's not half, but if you if you had a thirty one point seven percent win rate, that probably literally feels like half your leagues were winning, uh, you know, first place with Cooper Cup on your team. It's just an absolutely insane uh, level of production from him, and he could be in potential, uh, you know, in a spot to run it back again this upcoming season. Right now, it looks like it's just going to be him and Allen Robinson. I think that could 
you know, take some pressure off of, of Cup to kind of do what he does again in 2022. So I'm I'm excited to see what he can uh, what he can do this season if he can run it back with another uh, absurd absurdly high um, rate of production again for fantasy purposes. So my the the people will say that the positive regression is a thing. I don't know if I believe in that with Cooper Cup. We'll we'll see what happens. Oh, I haven't used this sound effect in a while. I didn't even remember what it sounded like, but I kind of like it. All right, Zach. We're going to get into some more best ball topics. Oh, wow. All right. Um, I want to start off by just kind of asking you, um, as we transition into 2022, what kind of high-level takeaways or major tweaks or trends in draft habits uh, are you expecting to see as people transition into this new year, kind of taking in some of the patterns and things that they saw play out last year? So I really like this question when you posted it and and I did a little bit of digging and just kind of looking at some, some different ADPs from this year um, in the early draft seasons, knowing what we saw um, this past season. And the one thing that has kind of stood out to me early on is that uh, people don't seem to be at this point in time, nearly as aggressive in their pursuit of the early round tight ends um, and, and, you know, something like underdog and even on my FFPC, uh, the, the early round tight end, the, the round one tight end, I don't think uh, is something that people are targeting nearly as aggressively. I think, I think Travis Kelsey right now is kind of dipping out towards like the back end of the first, the early second right now, before you were kind of lucky to see Travis Kelsey go anywhere, you know, after like the one Oh five or the one Oh six and FFPC leagues, which we know is tight end premium, which is just going to add to the aggression that they were drafting them. But the tight end position kind of, underwhelmed in a lot of ways uh, in terms of some of the high expectations that we had for some of these tight ends and then some of the returns that we got from them. Travis Kelsey last season in FFPC leagues, he walked away with an 11.1% win rate. His ADP was 3.4. Darren Waller had an ADP of 9.9. He had a win rate of 4.5%. That's just, you know, painful. Uh, George Kittle, 15 and a half, uh, 15.5 ADP, 8.4% win rate. So those first three tight ends that we saw, Kittle just barely cracks above average win rate. Kelsey's a little bit better there, but I don't think anyone who's drafting Travis Kelsey in the first round is doing so for the hopes of an 11.1% win rate. So I would say that he kind of performed expectations as well. Um, and then the tight end four is the one who really just kind of went all out, which is Mark Andrews, 40.9 ADP, 21.9%. So We've seen a little bit of tight ends this past season underwhelming with the win rates. And then I think on the other hand, we've seen over the last couple of weeks a tight end landscape that has kind of changed drastically. And it's changed with a lot of guys who the fantasy community uh, really likes in particular. Uh, two of the ones I'm talking about are Dalton. Um, well, well, Dalton Schultz is one now that we know that the tight end situation in Dallas is particularly going to be. Um, in all likelihood, him, whereas beforehand it was like two Dallas tight ends late. Is it going to be Jarwin? Is it going to be Schultz? It ultimately ended up being Schultz, and he was a tremendous value last season. That's not going to happen again. But then the other two tight ends who I think of particularly when I think about the changing of this landscape is um, former Denver Bronco, Noah Fant, who was traded to Seattle um, as part of the Russell Wilson deal, and then Albert Okuebunam, who now has a chance to be the tight end one. Those are two tight ends who are extremely athletic. They were you know, great producers in college. They were guys that the fantasy community has been absurdly high on. And when Alberto ended up going to Denver, people were kind of like soured on him because, you know, we liked him a lot. And then we weren't sure if he was ever going to get a chance to produce with no Fant in the way. Now with Fant out of the way in Denver, he gets a chance to produce on his own in Seattle and Alberto slides into the, the, 
the default 101 at the tight end position for Denver. He, they, these are two tight ends who we've loved for a few years now. They're both going to get a chance to see significant targets, which I think is going to result in some of these early round tight ends from last year dropping down a little bit more because people are going to be more confident in some of these other guys they can get later, perhaps reducing a, a top 12 position, maybe even top eight or something of that nature, where the confidence, I think, in the early round tight ends is going to dwindle a little bit. Yeah, man, I think that that's a really, really great point. And I think that one of the things that is easy for people to lose sight of is that certain times the strategy that is the best strategy doesn't work in every instance in which you deploy it. But that doesn't change the efficacy of it overall. And what you're going to see if you go to the roster construction explorer, if you are using um, three tight ends, for example, in an FFPC best ball league, classic type of league, not super flex, and you select a tight end in round one, going back to 2017, you have a win rate of around 11% if you took four tight ends around 12%. If you select your tight end, before round three, your win rate um, for three tight ends is 10%. Your win rate with four tight ends is 11%. These are pretty good win rates. If we strip out 2021, um, we go 2020, you see that the win rates pop up a little bit more. And if you look at just 2021, they come down by about 1%. Now we know that's because last year, the tight ends at the top didn't all perform that well. But I would caution people about thinking about things in a way where you alter your entire strategy if you happened to pick the wrong guys within the context of that. Or if last year, the players that you were exposed to more when you went with a tight end early strategy um, happened to be the wrong ones. Because no matter what strategy you're employing in a game like this, where the difference of 3% in a win rate is like an astronomical type of thing, um, you know, you, you really can't look at it like that. You're going to have that issue in every strategy that you deploy. So I would caution somebody, if you were playing best ball for the first time last year, you heard us talking about how one of these strategies that appears to have better win rates than others, and I shouldn't say appears, that does when you go back and look at the data, is getting a solid tight end early, perhaps even two tight ends uh, that are really solid early on some of these elite guys. If it didn't work for you, that shouldn't be the reason that you get off of it Overall, if you go into the roster construction explorer, you find other constructions that you like more that have very aggressive winning rates, because I think there are some you could find that have better than purely your strategy, just being a tight end early approach, you know, putting a couple other ones together, then that's fine. That's a different conversation. Um, but the, the final summary is that just because one way that you did something didn't fall in line with the historical rates, it doesn't mean that you should necessarily pivot. I don't know if I'm saying that in a way that makes sense, Zach. No, no, I, I, I completely get what you're saying. I think, I think you're spot on with that. Like I'll, I'll just say for, for uh, example, I think that, you know, you kind of have to ask a question to some degree of why didn't what I do work out. And sometimes it's going to be an injury. Sometimes it's just going to be because a player maybe isn't capable of producing at the level they once were, or maybe it was just a down season, a, a quarterback situation or something like that, 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 that didn't work out really well uh, for them. The, the one thing that I think, you know, as a, in terms of players who I think may be incorrectly faded um, heading into 2022, at least early on, 
Uh, Darren Waller, because we're just sticking on tight ends here. Darren Waller is one who is kind of going to stand out to me as a guy who, because he only played in 11 games last season, he uh, he was the overall tight end six in fantasy points per game. That was down from the previous year when he was a tight end two at 17.7 points. Um, he is a guy who I think people are going to be incorrectly fading because you got Devontae Adams on the team now. You have the fact that he saw fewer games. He only played in 11 last season, but... One crazy stat that stands out to me, there's actually, I guess, two. They kind of work together with one another. Darren Waller had 9.8 air yards per target, which was two yards per tar- two air yards per target further um, than he saw in 2020, 7.8, when he had 1,100 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. And then to work in conjunction with that, he had 918 total air yards on the season uh, in just 11 games. His previous high was 1,133 air yards in 16 games. I mean, Darren Waller was on pace for like 1,500 air yards uh, before this injury. That's just very quick math. That could be wildly wrong. But, uh, I mean, 918 yards, he he nearly hit that total in five fewer games than what he played last season. Like, Darren Waller was being targeted in a really, really great way with um, the Raiders when he was healthy. The problem was he wasn't necessarily healthy. So I don't want to go out and start fading Darren Waller this season, I think that his ADP is going to certainly be dipping a little bit compared to last year. And I think that's just going to be a tremendous opportunity to buy in any kind of PPR league or in FFPC leagues where you get that tight end premium scoring. He's a guy who I want just because of the way that we saw Derek Carr use him last year and then how aggressively he used him when he was on the field. Yeah, man, that's some good stuff you have there. And I, I also think, um, you know, we've kind of been talking about things through a best ball lens, which as a reminder, if you head over to the show notes here, follow that link uh, that we have. Or if you use the promo code RotoViz at underdogfantasy.com, you can get a 100% deposit match on your first deposit up to 100%. Um, the notes on Waller there, definitely something to keep in mind while you're drafting in best ball leagues. But I think also in redraft leagues too, um, you might get more of a discount on Waller than you would in years past. And I think that having Waller ready to go in that spot where win rates might work a little bit differently, you're playing um, things week to week and you don't have the luxury of just, you know, having a couple of low end tight ends and you can take the best score each week uh, makes Waller still more value valuable. I think in those leagues than people uh, might be expecting. So definitely a name to keep in mind there, Zach. So we talked a little bit about, uh, some you know tight end changes in the landscape i didn't know if there was anything else that you had too that you wanted to note. um i, I don't think in particular with tight ends at this point in time i I, th- I think that waller was was the one that stood out to me and just you know again i i think that people are going to be more inclined to fade the position with the way things are shaping yep. up overall okay perfectly fair um moving along now i am sharing with zach a um draft board of mine from an underdog league that was a super flex league the first three rounds now this might not be representative of the adp that you're going to see in all leagues but i wanted him to kind of comb through this and give me an example of a player that he thinks he's going to be the most likely to avoid across his portfolio this year um, in an exercise here to try to find some guys that we think might be overvalued. I know we looked at it a little bit. There was one name that popped out to you that stood out to me. Uh, why don't you break that down for us? 
Yeah. So the, the one that really stood out to me is a guy who right now, if he was to take the field today, his wide receivers are Marquise Brown or Marquise Goodwin. If he had Marquise Brown, he'd probably be loving life at least a little bit better than this. He has Marquise <laughs> Goodwin, Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, and then backing up those guys. This is per our lads depth charts, Equinemius St. Brown, Daz Newsome, and Demir Bird. And that quarterback is none other than Justin Fields, who I like. I liked him coming into uh, the NFL, I was obviously a little bit disappointed that he landed with the once Matt Nagy-led Bears. Now he has um, head coach Matt Eberflus, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, and and Eberflus and company have not done a whole lot this offseason to really help out uh, their, their young quarterback who they're hoping to develop in year two in Justin Fields. And in the, in the board that you sent me here, in the Superflex draft, Fields went, uh, at the 208 overall, uh, he went just after Trey Lance and he went before guys like Kirk Cousins and Deshaun Watson. And I would easily be on either Cousins or Watson over Fields at this point in time because I'm just very underwhelmed by uh, the, the, the players who they have around him. I have no doubt that they're probably going to still be looking to improve this in, in the in the future with the draft and, and, and things of that nature coming up. So some good free agents out there. But Justin Fields just feels like such an easy fade to me because I, I, I'm not seeing a lot of things in terms of players on his team who I like to, to pair him with. And then, you know, his, the fact that he's struggling this, this past season, even though it was with Matt Nagy, I don't think we can completely rule out what we saw there. Um, we, we can't give him a full on pass just because he was with Matt Nagy and, you know, struggling with that, but he had 12 games. He threw seven touchdowns and 10 interceptions while attempting 268 passes. Like that's, those aren't very good numbers. Even the rushing upside that I think we kind of wanted from him, we didn't really start to see until later on in the season as it was winding down a little bit. Um, it, it took him up until week eight to have his first 100-yard rushing game. And prior to that, he hadn't rushed for more than 43 yards, which isn't really the kind of the uh, rushing production we were looking for from fields early on. Now, he certainly kind of, you know, carried a little bit more later on down the stretch and, and, and had some more productive runs, which we like to see. But I just, I don't love the talent around them. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned about what I saw. I, I don't want to be fully out on Justin Fields, but I think if this is kind of like what the Superflex ADP is looking like, I, I'd be, you know, taking someone else knowing I can bring it back right now with Kirk Cousins or Deshaun Watson um, or one of these other, you know, it's not like there's any rookies going here, even a potential rookie quarterback later on down the line there's there, there's some there's some good guys going after Deshaun Watson right now based on this board that I'm saying we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, man. I think that you hit upon a lot of the points that I would make. And I don't think that 
those criticisms or those concerns are anything that listeners wouldn't be piecing together for themselves. But I think that it's particularly notable because, yes, we do know that when you go back and you look at the data for super flex leagues, the teams that get their two quarterbacks before the end of round three have a much better win percentage assuming those teams are going for like two passers, maybe even three, have a better winning percentage than teams that take other approaches. There's definitely something to be said for it. But the key thing to hone on in here is that there's other quarterbacks that you can get in rounds three. And if we're thinking about, yes, there's, I'll admit there's probably some upside there for Justin Fields, maybe that some of these other players don't have, but the opportunity cost of taking him there versus saving that pick going for a running back or wide receiver that we may feel a little bit better about the separation that they're going to have between other players at their position uh, makes sense to wait for cousins or those other guys. So I'm uh, completely on board with that. Now we were looking around for other players, some guys that we were on the fence and there was a name that, you know, maybe you didn't conclude that you would actually be avoiding him, you know, all over the place, but we thought was pretty interesting to mention. So why don't you, uh, and I think there were a couple of guys, but there might be one in particular you want to mention. Yeah. The one that stood out to me, just again, we're, we're basing this off of the ADP that you sent me from the Superflex draft is, uh, the Titan two that was taken in this draft was, um, I'm sorry. He was taken as Titan three, actually still, still rather high is, uh, Atlanta Falcons Titan. Kyle Pitts. And I think the easy argument for taking Pitts is high outside the fact that he's a generational talent outside of the fact that he had 68 catches for 1,026 yards, but only one touchdown last season, which just seems almost impossible to, for him to only have one touchdown on 109 targets. But we call it the Julio Jones effect. that tends to only take place in Atlanta and it happened to Kyle Pitts last season. Um, you know, despite all these things and, and, and him looking pretty, pretty freaking good as a rookie, um, there, there is no more Calvin Ridley. He's suspended right now. If the season were to start, I think the Falcons would be starting like Kadero Hodge and Autumn Tate at wide receiver. That's not a, a, a group that many people want to have as their starting wide receivers. And we're going to see that and we're going to make the argument for, well, obviously this is why we want to draft Kyle Pitts. Like look at those names around him. He's going to be the guy that everyone, um, or that they're going to be looking to target the most, which is true. But then he also has quarterback Marcus Mariota, um, a mobile guy, can, can scoot around a little bit. Also, you know, someone whose reputation as being a wildly, you know, accurate passer guy who can make all the throws has kind of dwindled over the last couple of years. That's why he is no longer the starter in Tennessee. That's why he's now on his third professional team after being a number two overall pick um, a few years ago. So I, I question one, the target quality that, that Kyle Pitts can be seeing there just because just you're getting targets doesn't necessarily mean you're seeing good targets. Um, and then I think also, uh, just just the fact that the Falcons are certainly going to be addressing this later on um, the wide receiver room, I think, in the draft. I think they're going to be, be adding a couple guys because there's no way these are going to be their starting wide receivers. So Kyle, Kyle Pitts is is someone who, at least right now, as, as a tight end three off the board, I, I don't love it, even though I think there's going to be a lot of arguments that say that I should love it. Uh, where, where are you at on that with, with Kyle Pitts right now, based on what we saw last year and what we know heading into this season? All right. Well, it, it's hard, right? Because in one vein, if I'm critical of Kyle Pitts here, then I am counteracting the argument I just made about kind of going for tight ends to follow that strategy. So there's multiple layers to this, but if we're focusing on Pitts as the player here, just that in isolation, I don't feel as great about Pitts as many people do. Um, and 
I think I do want to know that the negatives or some of the actually one of the negatives that I would have for him is the fact that when people are discussing the positives, they are not only double dipping, but they are triple dipping in the sense that people talk about that there's going to be high target volume that Arthur Smith really likes to involve tight ends, that there's few other players of consequence right there. Uh, that's tautological to me, right? Those are kind of three different ways of saying that this man is going to get a lot of targets, right? Sure. He's going to get a lot of targets, but yeah, then you have to, that doesn't change the fact that you have the concerns about the way that this team might function overall. The fact that it's going to have to go back to CPAT at running back, that this offense is now lost Matt Ryan. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of reason for concern. And generally when the best argument that you can come up with a player is just, there's a ton of targets and it's a player that has not yet established that they are going to be the absolute elite player at that position. It just as a function of the targets, that's a bit of a problem. Also on that note, I want to mention that I have seen tweets going about, and I, I honestly don't know if people are joking or not, but I think people are serious saying that now Auden Tate becomes a guy you really have to go after. If that is the case and people do go after him, the ADP is going to rise. But no matter where it is, I feel like Auden Tate to some extent becomes a trap because we see this over and over again when guys are supposed to just get volume. It doesn't, it doesn't play out, especially not for a player of Auden Tate's caliber. And, um, you know, this team's probably going to do other things to address its offense in the draft, which will take the focus off of Auden Tate. Like you're not going to see a season under any guys where Auden Tate is getting a 26% target share or anything like that. Probably not even a 20%. So just be careful not to get overexposed to Auden Tate here. You know, obviously there's a lot of time, but even if you're drafting in best ball drafts now, I would say that you probably don't want to just be grabbing all the Auden Tate because of the targets. Yeah, I, I I don't feel too compelled to go out and, and aggressively pursue Auden Tate. Another thing that I saw just interestingly on uh, on pits here, looking through the Rotoviz uh, weekly stat explorer, I believe. Let me make sure I'm not butchering that. Yes, the weekly stat explorer, uh, one of the many great tools Rotoviz has. I would not have guessed this, but there are a couple names ahead of Kyle Pitts again. Generational talent, Kyle Pitts, athletic freak, Kyle Pitts, who in terms of something like yards after catch, where I would just think Pitts would excel, he ranked two, three. I apologize for counting on air. He ranked eighth <laughs> in yards after catch amongst tight ends, which is just something that I wouldn't have quite expected from him uh, last season. And then some of the guys who ranked ahead of him in yards after catch, just names you wouldn't have expected. You probably would have thought I was crazy if I told you that Tyler Conklin had more yards after catch than Kyle Pitts, that Dusty Zach Ertz had more yards after catch than Kyle Pitts. Uh, even, you know, Dalton Schultz maybe surprises you. There's, you have your top guys up top, Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, all great. But, you know, for a guy who saw the targets that he did at 104, uh, who had over a thousand yards to, to not see him have nearly as many yards after catches, I think I would have uh, made up in my mind, just given what we know about him was, I think, a little bit disappointing as well. He's he's going to go off and he's going to make me eat all, all my words in, in 2022. I, I know he will. But for right now, I'm, I'm willing to kind of like, you know, play play it, you know, careful when, when it comes to Kyle Pitts and not get too caught up in the idea that because he has no real wide receivers of note on the team, that this means that he's all of a sudden going to like turn in like a 30% target share season and a 1500 yards with 10 touchdowns. Like that's probably not going to happen. And 
I, I, I'm willing to temper expectations on him just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Pitts is awesome. There's no doubt about it. We're just kind of approaching this from yeah. a second round pick in a super flex league uh, perspective. He might not be as awesome as it would feel. We will have to see. But before we close down here, um, I do want to talk about the Chiefs backfield. So Ronald Jones will be sharing the field now with Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the backfield of this uh, somewhat changed now Kansas City Chiefs offense. What do you make of this move uh, from the perspectives of Jones and CEH? Who would you rather have the higher exposure to? Right now, Ronald Jones' ADP is at 171. We can assume that's going to creep up. CEH is at 90. That will probably take a step back. Let's say that when things settle, maybe there's a variance of 30 spots with CEH lower than Jones. Who would you rather have more exposure to? Uh, I, I, I think it's kind of just going to unquestionably be Ronald Jones for me at this point in time. Uh, not that he's this amazing player that some of us necessarily want him to be. Maybe he could be, maybe he could be this on a team and on a coach that actually believes in him, which we know that it's not the case uh, with, with Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, I think looked for a lot of reasons to not, not play Ronald Jones. I think maybe there's a possibility that Andy Reid could look for reasons to play Ronald Jones. And that reason could start with, well, we've tried Clyde Edwards Elair twice. That hasn't gone very well. So let's try someone different who has shown some upside, um, you know, when, when given the chance, certainly his fumbles don't help him, but, you know, people can learn, people can grow, and hopefully this is something he can kick down the road in the future. But for me right now, like, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, irrational to rule out the idea that come week one, Ronald Jones is the is the first running back on the field for the Chiefs. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been kind of he, – he's not necessarily like, – like Clyde Edwards-Alaire is not this terrible player, but his – his lack of production only gets amplified by the fact that the Chiefs didn't just miss on Jonathan Taylor. They missed on J.K. Dobbins. They missed on DeAndre Swift. They missed on Cam Akers, um, who I think we would all probably mutually agree that if any of these players were on the Chiefs, we would see a world better production than we would um, from Clyde edwards Dulaire. And the Chiefs could have had any of these guys, and they missed all of them. They went with Clyde edwards Dulaire. So every time that he underperforms, it just gets further amplified by the fact that the Chiefs whipped on several very good running backs who are all producing in their respective locations. And uh, I, I think that not only, you know, fantasy analysts are saying this and, and fantasy games are saying this, but also just football analysts are saying this. They're kind of pointing out the fact that there's a little bit of a problem in Kansas City with the running back game. And I think that there's a good possibility that Ronald Jones ends up being the guy who, between the, the, the talk and the lack of production from CEH, that we could end up seeing Ronald Jones being the chief starter or something of a 50-50 split. So in those situations, I always want the guy who's going to be coming at the cheaper price. So I think their value could be better. So I like that breakdown. Um, what I'm going to say about this question is that I think that this is a question that gets thrown around here and the answer is that there isn't really a right answer um obviously people are going to say that you'd want the player that has the lower adp um maybe that's true assuming that they end up scoring relatively the same amount of points i don't really know that i could confidently say i see this one shaking out Either way, I think that the ultimate thing that happens is that these both become players who are a little bit hard to know when you use them on a weekly basis, uh, but they could still both be 
in lineups. So the one reason that I could say that I kind of like this for Edwards Alaire is now it puts him in a range where I can get him on my teams. It's not overly expensive and it's possible that his overall output for my team when he's getting in there becomes somewhat similar to what it might have been um, in years past as somebody that didn't I did not get as high on this, uh, you know, CEH train when he first entered the league. But then when there was this big adjustment and I saw the possibility of what could still be there, kind of got back onto him then. So perhaps I need to get off of that train a little bit more. But I think it opens up a possibility um, where he could be usable because I think that the ultimate problem that we might see is that this offense doesn't allow its running backs to function as well as people might think. And that it's not necessarily... Um, that you need, well, let me say it like this. If Jonathan Taylor's in there, yeah, I think he's crushing it. Most other backs that aren't Jonathan Taylor with a handful of a few, I think maybe they're putting together kind of what we have seen from other chiefs backs over the years. So I feel like I'm kind of rambling with this, but, um, I think my general point is that you're going to see it tossed around. Like there's one guy or the other where really, I, I think that there isn't a clear answer uh, here and I would still be trying to get little pieces of both of them. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. I mean, I, I think what you're kind of alluding to is even since the Clyde Edwards Alaire pick, we've seen other chiefs running backs who in theory would have essentially somewhat of the same chance to show that it's not CEH or, or, or maybe I, I should rephrase this. It's CEH. We're the guy who should be getting the rock. And we kind of see them all just underwhelmed, whether it's Darrell Williams, whether it's Derek Gore, who is probably actually the best, maybe he's the best <laughs> running back on can see. We don't, we don't even know. It. Yep. Um, Darwin Thompson and, and whatever that was like, like maybe, maybe it really is just, yes, these running backs maybe aren't necessarily the best uh, players. Maybe they're all, their offense doesn't allow them the chance to produce at a high level. Um, but but it has less to do with the fact that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire isn't a stud and more to do with just the fact, like you said, it's an offense that's not necessarily opening up the door for running backs to succeed at the level we want to see in fantasy, which is just really kind of disappointing to think about too, because like, you know, it's a chiefs offense. Like you want everyone to be good in the chiefs. Like you want them all to be dynamite. And now we're just looking at a bunch of guys who go there and are kind of jags, maybe in part because of scheme or maybe in part because of talent or maybe a little bit of both. Right. So what I am hoping for, and I actually made a trade today on a dynasty team that was in desperate need of running backs. I made a trade to acquire CEH kind of, I, I think, intentionally overpaying because I think it's still in play that we get out of him like nine, 10 points a game, which on some teams you need. Um, yeah. So we'll have to see, you know, maybe in, to in total each week, they're putting together combined like 16 to 18 points. We'll have to see. Um, but my final note there is you're going to see questions like this sometimes where there's like these dichotomies that get created and there's not always like one right or wrong answer that's going to hold. So you still have to be careful if you're drafting a lot of teams that you don't let that one approach that you've been told is the correct one be the only one that you use. All right, Zach, we hit a lot of things this week. I appreciate you coming on, filling in for Curtis. I'm going to give you another chance to plug anything that you might be interested in plugging uh, before we send you off. 
Only thing I'd say I'd be plugging is the best best ball show with myself and Colin Kelly, hopefully coming back in the next couple of weeks here in April, as we look to run that back for the 2022 season. Um, you can check that on road of his radio. So be sure to do so. Uh, and I guess follow me on Twitter at ZK underscore FFB. I'm a decent follow. I suppose let, let Dave tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, man. I, uh, I have always in, in, enjoyed you. I believe that you have some good air force related content that comes across the timeline. Um, baby. Yeah, exactly. A lot of, uh, you know, good college football stuff coming through too. So definitely give Zach a follow. Uh, we have enjoyed having him back onto a place where everybody knows his name and we will look to doing so again in the future. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs>